As we meet today in this room, there are seven of us. There are four of us that are especially involved in leading this time of worship. And there are three that are leading behind the scenes and serving to make this possible for us to worship together on this Lord's Day morning. And I can tell you it is something very, very special. It's special for us today. And it will be special for all of us on Sunday morning as we gather together with just a few, perhaps a couple of family members, perhaps a couple of close friends. But as we gather together to do what we do every Sunday morning in praising and worshiping our God and seeking to encourage one another and be encouraged as best we can as we do that. And it's no question but that these are serious and difficult times. COVID-19 is a serious threat to our communities and our world. It is a storm we didn't see coming, but are doing our best to navigate with good judgment and faith. Our prayer is that the shipwrecks and suffering this storm causes will be as minimal as possible. We continue to remember in prayer all those who are on the front lines trying to battle the coronavirus and treat those who are suffering, as well as church and civil leaders and others who make decisions and keep our nation and our world functioning through this storm. Storms, even shipwrecks, will come. Some are so great and widespread that they become known by all for their reach and for their tragedy. The pandemic that we are going through right now will be one of those types of storms. Likely the most famous incident at sea is the sinking of the Titanic in the North Atlantic on its maiden voyage in 1912. The loss of the SS Edmund Fitzgerald in a storm on Lake Superior in 1975 was immortalized in the Gordon Lightfoot song. Storms and shipwrecks of all kinds will come. Scripture never promises that won't be the case. But the Bible assures us that we can trust God even in the midst of the storms of this life. We see that throughout the life of the first century church, including one of the most detailed accounts of early sea travel that can be found anywhere recorded in Acts 27 through 28. You may want to go to your handy-dandy Bible maps in the back of your Bible, or if you're on your cell phone or tablet or laptop, then Google Paul's Journey to Rome or a similar title for this tumultuous voyage through a fierce storm and the shipwreck that it caused. Luke tells firsthand the story of this incident and these difficult days and nights in the book of Acts. When the Apostle Paul was a prisoner aboard a ship being taken to Rome to stand trial before Caesar, they too tried to sail through a horrible storm. All on board survived, but the ship was destroyed when it struck a sandbar and was broken to pieces by the surf as it approached the island of Malta, just south of Italy. Paul's journey to Rome took place from about September to February, A.D. 59 through 60. Of course, with all ancient 
uh, events, the dates are a little sketchy, but we know that it took several months for him to get there, and we know that it was around A.D. 60, and we know that it was through a very difficult winter. It covered over 2,000 miles. The voyage began in Caesarea on the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Paul and those with him changed ships to a larger Alexandrian grain ship in Myra on the southwest coast of modern-day Turkey. They then sailed to Fair Havens, a port on the southern coast of the island of Crete. Despite Paul warning against it, they set sail for the harbor of Phoenix on the western coast of Crete with 276 souls aboard. And that's when the storm hits in Acts chapter 27, beginning at verse 13. And they were taken out into the open sea. For two weeks, they fought to survive the storm. Fourteen days. We can't imagine being in a storm like that on a ship that small for 14 hours. And yet they were on it for 14 days. The crew members raised the lifeboat onto the deck and passed ropes under the ship to hold it together. Ultimately, they throw the cargo and the tackle overboard and lose all hope of being saved. Luke is with Paul on this voyage and presents his first-hand account in dramatic fashion in Acts 27, beginning at verse 13. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeastern swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Syrtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. Just when all hope is gone, however, the Lord sends a message and reminds them, all of those on board the ship, and us today as well, facing our storms, that whatever the storm, God can be trusted to see us through. Continuing in Acts 27, verse 21. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. 
Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Though God has promised his presence and his deliverance, it didn't mean that their trip would be easy and that blue skies would immediately break through. The worst of their trip was still to come. We continue reading in Acts 27, verse 27. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. When the situation could not get more desperate, in a moment reminiscent of the special time Jesus had with his apostles just before his death, reminiscent of the time we shared just a moment ago, as Donnie led us, as we partook of the Lord's Supper together, Paul encourages them all to eat for the first time in two weeks. And then they toss the grain into the sea. Acts 27, verse 33. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. Luke then records the dramatic shipwreck, beginning in verse 39. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. They later find out that they are shipwrecked on the island of Malta, south of Italy. They stay there three months, and Paul heals many on the land, on the island. They acquire another ship and set sail for Italy. And ultimately, Paul finds himself in the capital of the empire to await trial before Caesar himself in Rome, just as the Lord had said he would. 
Gordon Lightfoot isn't the only one who has written and sung about storms and shipwrecks. God's presence through the storms of life have inspired many songs and hymns of praise, including contemporary Christian songs such as I Will Praise You in This Storm by Casting Crowns, In the Eye of the Storm by Ryan Stevenson, and Jeremy Camp's I Still Believe, whose story is now a recently released movie by the same name. One of our older, most beloved hymns is also written in response to a maritime tragedy. Horatio Horatio Spafford lived in the 1800s and was a Presbyterian elder and a successful businessman in Chicago. Not long after his son died, he lost his fortune in the wake of the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. Desiring a rest for his wife and four daughters, as well as wishing to do some evangelistic and mission work in one of the campaigns in Great Britain, Spafford planned a European trip for his family in 1873. However, due to unexpected last-minute business developments, he had to remain in Chicago. But he sent his wife and four daughters with family friends on ahead as scheduled on the SS Ville du Havre. He expected to follow in a few days. On November 22nd, the ship collided with the Loch Urn, an English vessel, and sank in 12 minutes. Several days later, when the survivors landed in Wales, Mrs. Spafford cabled her husband with these words, saved alone. Their four daughters were gone. Spafford left immediately to join his wife. While crossing the Atlantic, the captain called him into his cabin to tell him they were passing over the area of the collision. It is said that Spafford wrote this hymn as he approached the area of the ocean thought to be where the ship carrying his wife and daughters had sunk, where his daughters had died. The tune, composed by Philip Bliss, is named for the ship which was lost, along with Horatio and Anna Spafford's four daughters, Ville du Havre. The hymn continues today to be a source of strength and hope and assurance in all the ups and downs of this life. It is one that people of faith have sung regularly for almost 150 years and begins with these much loved lines. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows, like sea billows, roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. In and through the storms, God provides hope and encouragement. He provided it for the Apostle Paul and for all of those with with him in that ship, sailing through the Mediterranean Sea day and night after day and night in the midst of a severe storm that they never felt that they would survive. And yet, God sends a message, message of comfort, message of hope. And he sends those messages to us today as well. It may be in the form of a card we receive or a call from someone or a text message or an online worship service. A special scripture that 
comes to mind a, a song that we hear on the radio. An opportunity for God through his spirit to send us hope and encouragement in the midst of the storm. In and through storms, God also provides opportunities to help others. He provided that for the Apostle Paul by giving him an opportunity to encourage all of those men who were on that ship. And they saw the presence of God in action. And all of those who were on that island where they were stranded for three months as he brought the healing grace and saving power of Jesus Christ. Certainly Horatio Spafford learned how to encourage others and was given that opportunity as he wrote that incredible hymn that encourages us even still today. But God provides opportunities for us to help others as well. And we've seen that over and over again during the time of this crisis, this pandemic. COVID-19 has brought out the best of people. It has called on churches and other people of faith to reach out to their neighbors and help in ways that we weren't doing before. It has called us as individuals and as families to be considerate of others and not just ourselves. Even some of our own young adults here at the West Irwin Church of Christ have made it known that if any of our elderly or infirm or shut-in need anything, if they need something from the store, if they need an errand to be run, if they just need someone to, to remind them that there is hope, they want to do that. They're not in the highest risk categories, and they're stepping up and they're saying, we will help. For some, the opportunity may be to give. We've shared of the opportunities, even though we're not meeting, to be able to continue to give to the work and life and ministry of this church family by mailing in your gift or by going online and giving, going on our app. And there may be some that, that are touched by this crisis and, and can't give it all right now, and that's okay. That's okay. We give as we've been prospered. But there are others, perhaps, who have plenty, plenty, and realize because of the need it is time to step up and maybe to give extra. God presents us in the midst of the storms with opportunities to help others. And finally, God provides deliverance in and through the storms. It may not look like what we expected or wanted. I'm pretty sure the Apostle Paul didn't expect to be stranded, shipwrecked, on an island south of Italy. And certainly we did not expect to be in the midst of a pandemic caused by this coronavirus that continues to threaten us and realizing that in our country it may get worse before it gets better. But it will get better. And God will be present with us through the worst of the times, just as he will through the best of the times. And he will deliver us. Because you see, you can trust God in the storm. As we play this great hymn, we invite you to sing along, remembering the presence of God in the midst of the storms and shipwrecks. Yes, even the pandemics and other tragedies and threats. Because these are all from Satan, make no mistake. Satan throws them at us while we live in this world to try to destroy our faith, but he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. For people of faith, these things only make us more committed. 
They make us closer to our great God and they make us closer to each other and they remind us to love our neighbor as ourselves. The God who nailed our sins to the cross of his own son will one day descend to turn our faith to sight and take us home to be with him for eternity. That is the God who can be trusted in the midst of the storm we're going through today.